Hey, Camp Kids. Welcome back to the Camp Kids Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Bob, and I'm on a mission to bring together a community of camp people from all around the world. Whether you are currently in your camp career or it's been a while since you've been at camp, when you're with us, you're at home. In this bonus episode, we bring you Dave, who has been working at camp for over two decades. Dave works in higher education as a computer science professor, but also consults camps and presents at camping conferences as well. Dave shares his website that provides all free resources to camps for evening programming. So be sure to check out all the links in the show notes to utilize all of these great resources. Not only does Dave talk about being a camp professional, but he dives into the culture at Camp Corey in upstate New York and how that has fostered a love for the work that he does today. So without further ado, let's hear it from Dave. I'm Dave Gadu, and I live in upstate New York. I, I've worked with a number of camps in the Finger Lakes region. And by day, I am a college professor for computer science, but I started my my working career in 1994 working at YMCA Camp Corey, which is on Cuca Lake. It's one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. I, I washed dishes there, and I spent... I don't know, 20 summers there working. And eventually I became the the camp director and I, I left camping as a profession a while ago, but I still love being involved. I, I still love being involved. I present at conferences. I consult with camps. I still stay active in the camping community. Oh my gosh. That's so great for someone like me to hear. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful that you're still able to stay involved and you know, be able to be a college professor and everything. I love that so much. It was not an intentional decision. I actually taught high school for eight years before I pivoted to higher ed. And so in both those roles, I was able to still spend summers at camp or a week at camp or a day at camp or whatever it was, but I have some time in the summer. It was, uh, it was a county park and they had this big hill and we'd have this awesome game of capture the flag every year. But I only did that for two or three seasons. And then my parents sent me to a resident camp on a different Finger Lake in upstate New York. Uh, not Cuca Lake. It was not Camp Corey. And I actually had a really miserable experience there. And to this day, I still remember all the bad things and none of the good things. And I know that there was probably a ton of good times that I had, but just the, the bad things just really stuck out. So I thought I was done with camping. And with one morning at the, at the high school that I attended, it was Liverpool High School, there was a history teacher. His name was Jerry Elliott, who's also the camp director for YMCA Camp Corey. And he's like, you know, Dave, I could really use a dishwasher this summer. And I was 15 years old at the time. He's like, it would be awesome if you could just wash dishes for four weeks. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And after, I don't know, maybe the second day I fell in love with the place and I wound up spending the whole summer there. And basically I never left. So Jer Jerry Elliott changed the trajectory of my life by offering me a dishwashing job. And then I grew up and, you know, I was a counselor. I was a leadership director, a village head, a sailing master, assistant director, program director. And I wound up being the full-time camp director there in 2001. And after that year, I, I actually left camping regrettably uh, for my teaching career. Yeah, I, I know there's quite a few listeners who can absolutely relate to that. There's a lot of people who did camp seasonally or year round or whatever, and then transitioned into their teaching career. I would love for you, if you don't mind, kind of go through what this was like and kind of describe that for our listeners. Oh yeah. It was real bittersweet. It was actually, I, at this time, Jerry Elliott had retired from camping. He had been there for 25 some odd years. So in 2000, I graduated from college and I, I drove across the country with my buddy, Mark, and we worked in Colorado for a little bit. 
when we came back, I was thinking about going into camping and I had had a job offer and I, I, I stopped at Jerry Elliott's house. He still, he has a house on the lake where the camp is. And I just sat and chatted with him for a long time. And I was like, you know, I, I, I have an affinity for camp. I really love the creative aspect of it. I love working with the campers. I love the, the leadership, the autonomy, but I really am not into like operational and organizational development. That is not something I'm good at. I, I, I know my weak points and my, my strong points. And he said, you know, if you decide to go into teaching, it'll still give you time to be involved with camp. And there's a lot of DNA that's shared between camping and education. And, and for the record, I think that's even that's true, even more, more so now. But back in 2001, he said, you know, no one's going to blame you if you walk away from camping because you'll always be able to come back to it and you'll be involved in some capacity. But if you decide that you want to pursue a career in education, you stay in camping, it's going to be really difficult for you to get your foot in the door with teaching. You, you know, I made the decision to go in the classroom and I was there for eight years and it was awesome. But then I actually missed camping <laughs> full time. So I, I stopped after eight years, I went into higher ed, which gave me a little bit more time and share that with the camp community, because I think that's a really understated part of camping. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And thank you for walking us through that. I know some people are definitely experiencing something similar. I know when as well, I was currently working at for a seasonal camp director position. Mm -hmm. And nobody really talks about how hard it is to do that seasonally. Absolutely have to have something else that supports you through that. But it is so hard to focus on both things at the same time, like a, a professional teaching career and also trying to run a camp just part time. So I appreciate you sharing your experience with that. Those two jobs are famously more than full time jobs. So having two of those is unbelievable. And I, I honestly, I think camping and education right now are two really hard sectors to maintain your mental health. It is. Those are exhausting jobs that are lifestyles. Absolutely. Well, you already kind of briefly talked about your experience as a camp staff member. Would you mind diving just a bit more into that and also about what you do more in for the camping community nowadays too? So I started in 1995 as 1994 as a dishwasher and I had a lot of fun there. My twin brother came for half the summer and my best friend, Nick, and we, we fell in love with camp and we all came back and Nick and John took the career of path of going into the kitchen the dining hall. And I, I transitioned to being a camp counselor. So I was a junior counselor for one year, then a senior counselor for three years. And I loved it. It was just, it was really, really awesome. And it was right around this point where we had some transition in leadership. And, and I know every camp goes through this and it's always really difficult. And it was very difficult for me. Jerry Elliott had been a very, very good friend of mine and they were going into a full-time director position. So, uh, and he was, he was getting ready to leave. So it was very tumultuous and very emotional. I actually didn't come back for part of a season and then I got camp sick. I got a job at Olive Garden and I was like, I'm not going to go back to camp. That place is just a mess. And I got camp sick. So I wound up coming back and I just filled in. They, they just had me do whatever need to be done. It was counseling. I was plunging toilets. I was fixing sailboats. I was like leading programs. I, I'd missed it. And I was like, this is my calling. So I came back for a number of summers after that as the uh, village head as, uh, which is, you know, like analogous to a unit head. And then as a sailing master, uh, we we have a pretty robust sailing program at YMCA Camp Corey. And then I was the, the leadership director. So I worked with the CITs and the LITs and, and the junior counselors. 
And then I was a program director for a few years. And I think that was really the sweet spot. That's what I really, really enjoyed doing. The challenge of being a program director is, you know, you have to make sure that the kids are happy, that they're having a good time. You need to make sure that the staff are well-trained and imaginative in their particular domains. But what I really enjoyed about it was the evening programs and our evening program. A lot of camps have this worse than all camp activity. And my buddy Aaron and I, we were kind of co-program directors. He was, I was getting my master's that summer. So I was in and out and he was in med school. So he was in and out. So the two of us kind of split the responsibilities and we'd overlap sometimes. So it was just a happy accident that there were two program directors because up until that point, there had only been one, but we really were able to bounce ideas off each other and do some really wild, wild things that I think have been woven into the, the fabric of the camp experience at Camp Corey. So we have completely original, unique large-scale camp programs. I think that's really one of the things that I love about camp is that you can have these wacky games that are nonsensical or that draw in from pop culture. And you can drop a kid at any camp and they're going to play basketball or archery or capture the flag. But you can only drop kids at Camp Corey if they're going to play the adventures of Slug Boy. Like, you can't play that anywhere <laughs> else. So, so that that's what I like doing. And and that's how I got back involved at presenting. I, uh, I was at uh, ACA National this year, Northeast, as well as, a, uh, oh, I'm sorry, New England, and then the Northeast Y Convention. Last year, I was at Tri-State in New England as well. And my buddy Aaron and I were presenting in basically how can you do cheap programming that's unique and novel that get kids to really be involved. And then also at the same time, simultaneously empower your staff. And we've done a lot of work with camps on finding values, like what's your stated value versus your actual values. And we've done some program elevation stuff. So I like taking these extra domainal observations about the business world or about computer science or first robotics and bringing them into camp. We actually have a website. It's 2ksummer.com. We don't charge for anything. So we have, we, we add them probably every few months. And they're all in Google Docs and Google Slides, so you can change them to be your camp or do whatever you want with them. And we have all our presentations from the camp conferences. And so we'll we'll be aggregating them all and putting them into a book, but that's probably 18 months out getting that out, as well as like resources for how do you construct these games or how do you empower your staff? We'll be adding things to that. And, and the, the name 2K Summer came from a challenge. Mark Dibble, who's the camp director at YMCA Camp Corey, when I was the program director, he said to Aaron and I, look, you guys have $2,000 for the summer. Make it count. So we had $2,000. We did all this unique, high fidelity, but low budget programming. And that's kind of our thing. When we present at conferences, people come up to us afterwards and they're like, you know, a lot of people promise that what they're presenting is going to be like cheap and it never is but like you put the price tags there like we know how much you spend us uh, and you really did it so you really delivered on that so that's kind of one thing we like doing because we recognize that camps don't have big budgets these days and you said all your resources on your website are for free mm -hmm. absolutely oh my gosh there, there's little buttons that say like copy as google slides or copy as google docs so you can take all those i'll put a plea out there too if you're out there and you have things you want to share I don't know if I could, if you could put my email address in the in the show notes, but we would love to to make this a community. We don't want this to be top down, you know, one to many. We want this to be a community. So just as you're building a community of camp people, we we would like to build a community of program people that are sharing their ideas. Absolutely. I will include the website in the show notes so that listeners can have that easily access available. At, I'm just br briefly scrolling through your website right now. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. You've got a lot. We do. And we have a lot more that's coming. 
the cross-pollination of computer science and teaching with summer camps. Like we, we can make a website that looks pretty nice and has some really nice assets to it. So we're, we're hoping to really build this out and make it bigger and better. Uh, main thing is, and we say this at every conference we go to and at every camp that we work with, like camping is really underappreciated in society, I think. And so we, all we're doing is trying to make camps bigger and better. Uh, and if that means like adopting one of these programs, go for it because that, if, if that makes one kid come back, then, then we've done our job. I know a couple of my program director friends will mad run to this website <laughs> and start utilizing this so well. I, I just want to kind of set the stage here and do some level setting. So we, we recognize that not every camp can do this because some camps have 500 campers. That's really hard to manage. Or maybe you can. And if you can, give me a call because I want to watch. But <laughs> uh, one of our design principles was we're going to ignore the fact for a moment that there's a rumor out there that insurance companies don't want six-year-old kids playing capture the flag with 15-year-old kids. And I understand that is a problem, but I've talked to a lot of insurance people at conferences. They're like, we'll never say no to something you want to do. We'll work with you to make it happen. And, and the same goes for like running all over camp and it's never unsupervised. And so as I'm describing these games, it might sound unsupervised, but they, but they never are. First game, if you're looking for an easy lift, so it's not too, the rule set is not too complex for the campers and it costs no money, but it, we run around by cabin group. So I might just say cabin groups, but that would be a proxy for however you decide to have your, your kiddos running around. And they, they have very simple rules, but there's some tasks they have to do, and you can accomplish them in any order. But one of the things that makes these games, I think, sets them apart from other games is we have a rich cast of characters. And this is actually one of the things that leads into staff empowerment is we'll give the character, the, the staff member, a description. Okay, so you, Andy, you're going to be a sad clown. That's the only di direction he gets. And then he comes back, and he's got this super sad face paint on, and he's kind of like a sad Ronald McDonald kind of like pounding around camp. So we use that as a mechanism to empower staff by saying you're going to do whatever you want because we want staff members to get comfortable with taking some direction and owning it, whether it's dressing up as a character or running an archery program, like you own this. So we, this is a nice way to ease into that, but the game is very simple. You have to run around and the theme, the conceit of the game is earth day and Mr. Burns is trying to, you know, build a nuclear reactor. And so you have to get a petition. So then you find there's this wandering group of hippies. And so, you know, you can lean into it and put as much effort as you want. But I, we find that if you tell the staff members before the summer starts, like, hey, here's the list of games we're doing. Here's the costumes we need. Camp staff will come to camp with some of those costumes. You know, nine times out of 10, they have that stuff lying around. And the other 10th of the time, they'll go to Goodwill and find some really good stuff. So the Earth Day game is a very simple game. It's very accessible. It's very easy to understand. And it's just a great novel experience and and i also recognize i do want to be cognizant of the fact that like yeah there might be some messaging here about earth day and global warming you can change the conceit of the game you can make it whatever you want in fact that's one of the things we do for for our programming is say you can skin a game which means we have the rule set and we have kind of you know the different stations where kids are going to go but the costume can change the cast can change and the narrative can change and if you can commit to having high quality cast, high quality costumes, high quality props, and some epic music, it's just transformational for the camp experience, for the for the camp program. Don't like Earth Day? Okay, make it a Halloween game. Absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking of camps that do like weekly themes or something like that. Sure. You can absolutely take the idea, adapt it to the theme or the idea that you're going for and make that work for you. That's incredible. Yeah, in fact, I think that's actually a good segue to talk about the other game, which I think is a camp favorite. 
uh, Doughboys, uh, which is a World War One illusion. One of the the guys who worked at camp, uh, his name is Bo. He was the camp historian, and he has a degree in history. In our camp, Camp Lawrence Corey is named after Lawrence Corey, who died in World War One. So he found all these historical documents and created like maps that were historically accurate about where Lawrence Corey fought. So the game is presented as a World War One game, and that's what the cast of characters are, and that's what the 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 narrative is. But it, this was not the first iteration. The first iteration was called Escape from TX Five Thousand, and it's the same exact game. And I'll explain it in a second because it's, it's it's really fun. It's the same exact game, but in Escape for, from TX Five Thousand, it was robots who imprisoned humans, which actually is pretty prescient these days. <laughs> you know, it's all in the back of everyone's mind with AI and everything. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> So, so our theme of the week was, I, I think, like robots. So we had all our programs were about robots and designed this Escape from TX 5000 game. And we had a narrative and a cast of characters. And the kids really, really loved it. So the next year, there was a history week. And we were like, well, let's just take some of the games that we have been doing and skin them to, be, to fit into the history. So we published Doughboys, even though that was not the original game. The original game was Escape from TX 5000. The same thing we did. Um, we did kind of like soapbox derby cars and we raced them down a hill. First time we did it, it was race cars. And this is actually really cool. We stole this from First Robotics. So the kids, we actually gave the kids drills and saws and they were supervising. We gave them training and they built their own cars and raced them down a hill. And we had, it wasn't just about building the car. They had to make a flag, make a cheer. We really espoused the term coopetition, which means you're you're cooperating with these other teams. But even at the end of the day, you're competing with them because that's one of our design standards too, is like, we really don't want this adversarial game mindset so anyway we did that and then at the end of the season we just did the same thing the same exact program but we called it it was olympics week so we did bobsled and it was the same exact thing and the kids still had a ball even the kids that were there the first week still something novel because now they're in a different mindset of how they're creating their vehicle that i'm gonna definitely dig deeper into doughboys here you might defy explanation if you try and read it and i'd love to take 30 seconds to just explain what's going on real quick I'm sure most camps are familiar with the game Hawkeye where, you know, what camp counselor kid will stand in, in a forest or trees and the rest of the kids are, you know, 300 feet away. And then the kid turns around and, and the rest of the kids are running and it's kind of like red light, green light. And then as the kid, the caller turns around to look at the kids, they all hide behind trees. And if you're spotted, you have to go back to the beginning. Are you familiar with that game? Yeah. We use that as one of the mechanics. And then the other mechanic is, and we stole this right out of video games, but like in these stealth games where you're like sneaking around, there might be a guard who walks in a very specific pattern, like 20 steps forward, turns 90 degrees, 20 steps, turns 90 degrees. So the kids in their first sortie will do this like Hawkeye thing. And if they get to the checkpoint, then the next stage is this, like we call them the lazy guard. And so the kids have to kind of like study the pattern, understand it, and then sneak so that the guard can't see them. And then they get to the next checkpoint. And then it's another Hawkeye game. And then it's another guard game. And then at the end, it's just like this scramble up a hill where it's kind of like a tag game. So we've merged these different games into one. And, you know, again, you slap on a sweet narrative and some sweet costumes on your cast members. And it's it's awesome. It's, it's just really, really impressive to watch these kids get into it. Absolutely. No, that sounds really fun. And to go back to what you were talking about previously, I loved how you talked about competition. Coopetition, yes. Is that something that you encourage like staff members to like kind of talk about before they dive into these games and stuff like that? If I were at a camp today, I would. And I actually, when I designed these games, I didn't know about coopetition uh, because I didn't get involved with first robotics until 
after I was d the program director. There's two things that I think are great indicators of where we are right now. I do want to say Camps of Boot and doing a phenomenal job with SEL for the past 30 years. And it's the shame that like, you know, K-12 is, is getting there, but they're not, they'll never be where camps are. I regret that when I was a program director that a lot of the games I designed were adversarial. I've seen a trend in say board games and tabletop games where instead of being adversarial, now it's, we're all on the same team and we're playing against the deck of cards. We're playing against the board or we're playing against like these evil monsters that are, you know, me mechanics are not another player. So we've been designing games. We've been shying away from adversarial games and making it more cooperative. And, and the competition lends itself really well where you need to have a competition like the drag racers. But in first robotics, when you're at a competition, you know, there's 50 teams. And if one team breaks like a an axle, they'll go up to the to the the, the pit master and say, hey, we're team 2228. We need an axle. And so the, the pit master will get on the microphone and say, hey, everyone, uh, team 2228 needs an axle. And the next thing you know, there's like 10 different teams running over with axles because everyone wants to help you out. Oh, and my it, goodness. Yeah, it's, it's this really cool phenomenon. In fact, the, the award that you get for for being the best competition is called the Woody Flowers Award, who was an MIT professor. Like everyone wants to win the national championship because you get to go to the White House and everything, but everyone really wants to win the Woody Flowers Award because the competition is really, that's the heart and soul of the whole first robotics. Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't realize that that was a big part of first robotics. So I'm really glad yeah. that you shared that. Thank yeah, you. it is. And, and there's no reason why camp games can't do that. In fact, we used to play capture the flag and then we changed it. So many iterations but now you're not even really tagging other teams you're all kind of like either competing against yourself or competing with against like one common enemy so i really like the message that sends there's a lot of positivity in there yeah absolutely that'll be something good that our program directors and other people who are programming these all camp or evening style activities should really keep in mind so that's great thank you yeah, yeah you're welcome well, my next question is kind of a more sentimental heavy hitter question, but I would love to know what keeps you coming back to camp summer after summer and what inspires you to keep presenting these ideas and creating all of this stuff for the camp community. So we had our hundredth and our hundredth anniversary celebration this year. And as I came back for the celebration and we have an alumni engagement committee and they did a phenomenal job. Like this thing looked pro, but as I came back, you know, we had campers from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all, all the way up until this past summer. I realized how influential camp had been in a lot of people's lives. And also how some people just, you know, came to camp and was very transactional. And I, I did a lot of reflecting and I realized that the, the most transformative years of my life were at camp. And, you know, you hear this story whenever you talk to someone who's been in camping for a while, they're like, or who was a camper for a while, they're like, you know, I was kind of a nobody in high school. I didn't really have any friends, but I really found my, my people at camp. And that is profoundly true for me that I've had the most maturation, the most growth, the most love, the most empathy at summer camp. So you know, I haven't signed a, a pledge or commitment saying that I'm going to spend the rest of my life working with camps, but I, I love it. It's something I really enjoy doing. And I know that the camp community is so welcoming to all those messages. So I do it because it's an expression of my creativity. I get to be really creative. I get to bring things into camp that when I was working at camp, I never saw, but now that I'm working in higher education and in robotics, like I see these things, I'm like, Oh, that would be really slick at camp. So I, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm just someone who loves to bring 
new things in the camp and see what camps do. Just like give them an idea and have them run with it. So for instance, that coopetition thing you and I just talked about, I hope that all your listeners bring that in They're, they're like, Oh, that, that's a great design standard for like everything we do at camp. We should really weave that in. So anything you see, always look at it through lens of camp. And I'm like, well, gee, what would it look like if we were able to do this at camp? So I keep coming back because I, I hope that I'm bringing fresh ideas and I hope that I'm pushing the camp movement even I definitely think you are. And I'm so excited for our listeners to, to see all of the things that you are creating for the camp community. I think that it will definitely make an impact and push it to even greater heights. So I would love to know who were some people from your camp experience that have inspired you, maybe even more specifically. So who has inspired you to create these games and stuff that you have done and how did they do that? In 1998, when we were going through that leadership change, Aaron Proietti, who had been the the camp program director, he had been basically working like six jobs because we had like low staff and there there was just a lot of things going on. He's like, Dave, I need you to run evening program tomorrow. And I was like, all right. So I stayed up all night playing the designing, actually the Earth Day game. That was the first game I ever designed. And uh, I really enjoyed doing it. So he had kind of given me the guardrails. He's like, it needs to be an all camp game. It needs to take place in this area, in this area. But other than that, do what you want. So that was kind of the genesis of it. And then a few years later, when I was a co-program director with Aaron Weaver, Mark Dibble, who was the camp director at the time, he's the one that said, listen, you guys have $2,000. You can blow it all in one program or you can spread it across the summer, but I'm not giving you a dime more. And at first I was like, well, that's kind of a jerk thing to say, but I realized kind of the wisdom in it because I think we really kickstarted this whole movement at Camp Corey where it was very program centric, very cast centric, very costume centric. And, and kids will come back for these games, like specifically these games. So I think Mark's saying like, listen, you have $2,000, find a way to do it. And we were able to derive these great cost-saving measures like our soapbox racers. We were like, we'll do that during the first week because there's you know half the enrollment. So we don't need to sp- spend money on 20 racers, just 10 of them. And then we are like, oh, and then we can repurpose them at the end of the season. Anything that we buy, we can you know, cascade that down to the drama program. And then their drama collection will grow over the years. And then we'll be able to draw on that collection. So it was kind of this, this flywheel of, of having props and costumes. Like, oh, it'd be great if we could also use these, <laughs> these drag racers. If we turn them upside down and put green grass on them, then they become mini golf holes. And you can kind of create these holes. So we really recycled a lot of stuff because Mark really pushed us to. He said, you know, listen. If you want to make quality programs, you're not going to get more money. You're just going to have to think outside the box. And we did. So I, I think from a programmatic standpoint, I really appreciate working with Aaron Weaver, who's a doctor in the emergency department right now. Mark Dibble, who's the CEO of the Y of the Pines right now. And Aaron Proietti, who was a chief innovation officer in industry for a long time and retired and actually just works with nonprofits and camps full time now. So really appreciate everyone I ever worked with. I, I said this at the 100th reunion. I was like, you know, my friends didn't understand what camp was, you know, you might play hockey, street hockey in the summer, like on the streets or play basketball or, you know, go to parties or whatever you're going to do. But I had the great fortune of spending the time as a 15 year old with like 60 positive role models. Like we didn't have drugs. We didn't have alcohol. It was just like pure wholesome fun. And all those people in 1994, 1995, when I was just in such my formative years really helped give me a welcoming environment and, and help me see that like life isn't necessarily about drinking. It might be about committing your summer to making kids lives better. And so, so I think the whole camp community has been like that. And even to this day, when I'm at conferences, I was, you know, most recently at the, the new England ACA and it is such a community there. And, and I don't find that in a lot of other domains. 
thank you for going back to the beginning and telling yeah. the story. I appreciate that. I know, I know all of our listeners are very geeky. They want to know every single detail <laughs> with and everything. So everyone yeah. has those stories. I love the common themes where it's just like, you know, I just love growing up at camp. None of my friends understand it. I like, they get me. I like, that is a, a universal truth of summer camps. What is the most important lesson that you have learned from camp? The most impressive lesson I learned was over a lifetime of working at camp and it was about being humble. And as a camp counselor, I think, you know, when you're 16 years old, you're like, Oh, I have all the power now. And if I could go back to the 16 year old me and say, listen, man, it's not about the power. It's not about telling kids what to do. It's about helping kids. Like it's about potentiating their life experiences. And that's true too. When I was, you know, the camp director or the leadership director, I always wanted to feel like I was in control of the camp. You know, part of that is a safety piece, peace of mind, but a big part of that was like, I have the vision. I want to project that vision over camp. And what I have found to be true now is it's better to have, uh, I think the term is the, the commander's intent. If you're talking to your leadership staff or, or, or your program staff to say, and I'll, I'll say archery because most camps have an archery program. I want you own the archery program. Uh, sure, I might have a lot of ideas and I've seen a lot of things that are innovative, but, and I might tell you some of the things, but I want you to own that archery program. I want you to lean into it. If you don't want to call it archery, call it whatever you're going to call it. If you don't want your job to be the area expert of archery, come up with your own job title. Like it's all about empowerment for, for the campers and the staff. So I think that the lesson I've learned is to be humble and listen to the ideas more than you tell people your ideas. Because at the end of the day, I think the camp is better off for having a hundred creative visions as opposed to just one. It seems like it is way more now, nowadays, more sharing, more getting ideas out there than it, than it was, I would say even like 10, 15 years ago. I don't know. Would you say the same on your end or? That's certainly my perception. And I wonder if the pandemic had a big hand in that just because people were sharing ideas like scrambling, like how we're going to run camp. If can we run camp, how are we going to do virtual camp? Uh, so, and, and hopefully it started well before that, but I, I can certainly say at the ACA conferences I've been to in the last year and, and the, the Y conferences that it has been way more about sharing and presenting ideas and not, not only just sharing like your camp story, but willing to share those novel ideas, the, the things that like you think are mundane at your camp, but like, you know what? No one else is doing them anywhere. Is there one that comes to the top of your head that when you experience it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And the people were, you were with were like, what? <laughs> this is our everyday life. There is an camp up in Maine. It's on uh, Panther Pond and it's run by the Slavinskis. I think it's called the Slavinsky camp. And they are sitting on a gold mine. They were doing these things that I'd never seen any camp do before, specifically in the waterfront. And all their ideas, almost all of them were low engagement. Like you could be a red ship or beginner and come to play in your own comfort level. So two programs that I thought were just like wild and out of this world. One of them is they did this Asian game. So they have a beach and you have to have a beach that kind of accommodates this. And they'd have the corkles or the, the inner tubes set up kind of like shields. So if you can imagine, you know, an aquatic team and the land team, and you're, you're trying to defend to uh, infiltrate the land and the land team is trying to defend it. So everyone has like kickboards and stuff as shields and every kid gets this nerf, and so this is in the shallow water, by the way. Uh, so you, anyone can play. And if you're really uncomfortable in the water, you can just stay like up to your ankles or your knees. You don't have to go, you know. So every kid is equipped with like, it looks like maybe a six inch Nerf dart that's maybe an inch in diameter and has a rubber band sticking out of the front. 
and you put the rubber band on your finger, kind of like you're shooting a rubber band, but really you wind up shooting this dart. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And they're like, yeah, it costs us like $3 a pop, but we can use them for like 20 other programs and they float. So every kid gets them and you get, basically it's like this dodgeball thing, but the, you know, you got these darts instead, uh, these foam darts. And it was really, really cool. And then they did this thing called human skiing. So they put some kid out, you know, with a life jacket, maybe 50 feet from the beach tied to a tie, uh, like a water skiing rope. And then every other kid in the cabin would be on that rope and they just start running up shore. And then the, the kid would hopefully get up on, on skis. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. And they're like, yeah, it's really nice. Cause you don't need a boat. You can, that was kind of small. Um, and then we found out the kids were trying to see how their buddy was doing. And so they keep turning around and falling down. So then we put a pulley on a tree so they could run perpendicular. And so they, they kept innovating and every program they had that was in the water, they had this one program where you just bring a folding chair and you bring it into the beginner section and you sit where you want. So that means like, maybe you're sitting right at the edge, maybe you're on the beach, maybe you're up to your neck in water, but it's all these programs that were getting kids that otherwise wouldn't be in the water or are not comfortable in the water they had the autonomy to decide how they wanted to engage with all these programs and seeing every kids when you you might have a cabin full of kids who are scared of the the water and all of them you know they kind of look around and they're all having fun there's no one who's flipping out there's no one who's like i i don't want to do this because they all just engage at their own level so the savinsky camps have been doing some really remarkable things with with water activities and i asked them about they're like yeah doesn't every camp do this i was like no <laughs> i've never seen any of these activities before so uh, uh framing for when i look at programs i'm like what do you do or camp camp Tololi has this mega dog and they just all it is you know how you buy like the 20 pound bologna from cisco or whatever mm-hmm. they platter and they have the special secret camp Tololi sauce and the day of mega dog they march it out to this fire pit and they smoke it all day long and there's this big lore built around it you know, and a lot of kids won't eat hot dogs, but every kid eats mega dog and they have like a dance and a song. So, and, and I'm like, I've never seen that anywhere either. No, I've not heard of anything like that. That's- Most of these program stars, like dumb ideas that some camp counselor had and the, the program director, the camp director is like, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's going to work, but go for it. And then, <laughs> you know, it's just like baked into the DNA of the camp. Yeah. It's camp. Tr- to hear one of your funniest camp stories. Oh, God. It was probably my first year as a counselor. So I was 16 years old and uh, I had a tr- cabin. I, I, looking back on it, I was probably ill equipped to be handling this. And I was a junior counselor. So there was a more seasoned senior staff in, in the cabin with me for a, a bit of a handful. And I, I thought I had been connecting, you know, over the next, over the first two or three days with this camper. His, his name was actually Dave. Uh, and I'll check <laughs> his last name just in case he's listening to this. But uh, he, he was just, he was a big Hellraiser. And I thought I had connected with him and he seemed to be, you know, really kind of getting it. And, and he's like, oh yeah, don't worry, man. I'll be good for the rest of the session. He's like, I, and so I was coming back from the dining hall after lunch on the third or fourth day. And all these kids are ru- who had been like, Dave, Dave, something's wrong. And so I, you know, I run into the camp village in the common area and all the cabins are kind of like right there. You could throw a rock and hit like three cabins. And Dave is standing in the window and he's buck naked and he's just singing the song. He's like, I'm David Wagner. I'm David Wagner. And all the kids are terrified. 
And, you know, it's, it's not really the, the type of fun there. It's fun in the moment, but it's a, it's a fun story to share. And it's a nice cautionary tale uh, that I, I bring whenever I do like keynotes at camp staff training and stuff about supervision and making connections and um, all sorts of things. A lot of lessons there to unpack. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be horrifying in the moment. But look yeah, back, and, it's and inappropriate behavior. But just so you know, this is back in the '90s. You know, the '90s were like a wild time, so uh, <laughs> it would probably be a lot different today. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, think statement is a fill in the blank. It's when I yeah. think about my camp experience. Never did I think that I would blank. Never did I think that I would aspire to be influential in the space. I, I enjoyed camp in when I was, you know, in my late teens and early twenties, I always thought camp was for me. And so I never thought that I'd be, you know, presenting at conferences and consulting with camps, helping them improve the experience for the campers. And, and so I never thought that it would be anything other than for me to have fun. Oh, that sounds so selfish. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you, I think, I think a lot of people start in a camp career as a 16, 17, 18 year old and do it because it's what feeds them and fuels them for the rest of the nine months of the year. And then you get older and then you realize you're like, oh my gosh, there, there's so much more to camp than just myself (laughs) and how I feel about it. And yeah, no, I think you're right. And the fact that you're able to connect you know, the world that you work in and bring all your great ideas into the camp world is extraordinary. Not only just for benefiting camp, but you're also to continue to still be involved in camp, even if they are not or they're not a camp professional. So I think that that is incredible, like what you are doing. Thanks. And, and I, I think you'd asked a question a little bit earlier about basically that population, people who had to leave campus for one reason or another and aren't quite ready to relinquish that. I would say, I think the best thing that you can do is volunteer or call up camps and say, you know, I'm not going to charge you a dime. I just kind of want to walk around and pick your brain and look at programs and do that for 10 camps. If you can pick 10 camps over the summer or 10 camps over two summers and see what's going on, then you'll start to see, the world is really big when it comes to programs and camps, but in you, and you'll start to have this experience that then you can, you can leverage that to become a consultant. Cause you can say, Oh yeah, Camp Canada, they have those double size. And that is like, I saw that program evolve over 20 years and you guys are doing that. Or you just get to, you've had and look at what is, what is there and then just share that with other camps. Like I, I would love to write a book and have picture like every page would just be a picture of like another camp and another unique thing that I've never seen anywhere. And, you know, give that away for free. Let every camp look at that. So if you're looking to get it back into the camp industry, I'd say look at other camps and just start encouraging them to share ideas or aggregate those ideas and share them because that'll also give you experience along the way. Absolutely. And I know I, just from my own personal experience, I mean, most of my experience, are already a part of that organization and you call them up and you're like, Hey, I have this free, or I have this amount of time. What can I do? They will put you to work. Like oh, <laughs> they yeah. will get you out there. They will find a way to use you or know that. Or if a lot of people feel guilt or shame around doing something like that, but there definitely isn't. <laughs> yeah. If there's any guilt or shame that evaporates pretty quickly when you're back at camp, you're like, Oh yeah, I'm doing what I, what I love mm-hmm. doing. That is keeps me going through teaching year round is, I mean, I call it go play camp. <laughs> when, I, when I go and attend a session, I was like, oh, I'm going to go play camp this week. 
<laughs> so, but like, that's what brings me life and doing like weekend and programming and stuff like that. That's, that's what I absolutely love to be able to do. So yeah. and looking for volunteers during the preseason and postseason groups when, when you have like your family camps and stuff. And that's a great way to also stay engaged. Yeah. I have an active alumni committee. If you don't have one, it's not hard to set one up. Uh, it, it, it can be done. My buddy Aaron Proietti did that for Camp Corey, and he's done a remarkable job. And he presented at it at ACA, and it's uh, <gasps> like, oh, that's really nice. That is really nice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's to do a little bit better of a job of keeping their alumni camp and it, with their association because um, the YMCA does an incredible job of that. Uh, it's hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the Scouts BSA does does some. Um, they might do a little bit better than the Girl Scouts, but I don't, the Girl Scouts really has nothing in regards to that. And so I think that would also help quite a bit, but. Like a, a, a huge gap in camps is yeah. the strength of an alumni network. In Aaron's pr presentation, I think it's up at the, uh, is at 2K Summer. If you go to talks, it's under the ACA New England. Okay. Um, but he basically like set up a framework. He's like, you can take this framework and apply it to your camp and have a functioning alumni committee. Awesome. Awesome. I know a lot of my Girl Scout listeners then might definitely look at that and take some notes and see what we can do to, to really strengthen that. That'd be awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, I know that you've already shared with our listeners a little bit about what you do when you're not at camp. Was there anything that you wanted to add to that before I kind of dive into talking about how camp and school kind of align with each other? Well, I guess I was going to go there, but I, I think it is worth mentioning. I've had a number of jobs outside of camp and, and education. And I, I would say that hands down people who've spent more than one or two summers at camp, people who have worked at camp for three, four, five or plus years will excel in any job. You know, there's this improvise, adapt, overcome mentality that comes to working at summer camps because you are working with people, you're working with youth development, you're plunging toilets, you're lifeguarding, you're washing dishes, like you're doing it all. And I think those particular skills translate perfectly well to the world. But the the mindset of saying, well, like, I don't, I don't know about archery, but I think I can get it done. That, that That's a life skill that's worth knowing. And everyone that, in fact, when I got hired as a teacher, my principal was like, I would hire anyone if they worked at summer camps. Because every camp counselor I ever hire is a phenomenal teacher. And I suspect that's true in a lot of other industries as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know when I was first getting a job, they all, employers, they wanted to know specifically about, you know, the youth development on the camping side of things and how that's directly transferable into the classroom. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. And I know it's very easy for like a musician to come in and be like, well, here are all these camp songs <laughs> and here's how I'll use them. You know what I mean? Or cause I mean, a lot of camps music is a very foundational part of it. Um, yeah, you know, and I, I can send this to you. There was just a study that was released that showed um, there's more empathy and more in, intrinsic teamwork that comes from singing songs. And I think that in that, that wasn't uh they didn't study summer camps for that but when you think about cheers and songs and the volume of them that happen at summer camps you're like oh yeah i guess that does kind of make sense about why we have healthy positive pro-social kids at camp that's one of the things absolutely oh my goodness i would and yes i would love to see that if you don't mind sending that my way yeah i'll dig it up awesome yeah but was there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on with and education and how that all aligns with each other 
Yeah, I, I think I think that camps do what schools should, and I think schools yeah. do what schools do. Uh, the the you'll never find that community at most schools, and there might be some schools that are doing it, but the the magic that happens at camp, uh, I don't see that in schools. I I do think, and this is just such a as I was thinking about you know your show, I or your podcast, I I I really reflected on uh, I met a lot of success working for the state of New York in online learning, uh, specifically in like course design. And one of the things I think that sets me apart from many of my peers is when I was at camp, you know, Mark Dibble gave me a directive. He's like, you get $2,000, make a quality game. And that, that, that kind of kickstarted that whole $2,000 summer thing. And I bring that to when I design my online course, cause I, I teach, I teach face-to-face, but I also teach some asynchronous courses. And the, the camp version is like, you can play capture the flag or you can play extreme go, which has four teams and each team has a special power. And uh, you're each, some of the kids on the teams are, have special roles. And so it's really just like a glorified capture the flag, but the, there's a lot of cognitive intrigue there. There's a lot of kids are like, I can play capture the flag. I understand that rule set. So now I'm going to play this new game, which I think it is very easy for me to apprehend because I understand capture the flag and I'm just going to go run around and rescue the general as opposed to rescuing, you know, capturing the flag. And then that's, that's basically how I think of course design in online learning. So you can imagine any online course, or this is any face-to-face course as well. You know, I taught high school math for eight years where you can say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do drill and skill. We're going to, you know, do the quadratic equation, or you can use the camp paradigm of saying like, well, how can I take this one thing and make it novel? I want to make it. So when kids, when students are done with my class, they might not understand what made it, enjoyable and engaging but that i want them to feel like they enjoyed it and that they engaged in it and so i think a lot of that if if you really dial in on how to make great uh great programs at your camp you can you can take those skills and and bring it into the classroom and, and just design and curate these amazing experiences for kids that they're not likely to get if they don't have a wash up camp counselor as their teacher <laughs> Absolutely. I, and I definitely try and do that as an educator in my lessons. Like what story can I add here or what prop, what puppet, what, what little extra thing that was going to make it just a bit more ridiculous Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you can add to it. That's going to captivate. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah. That absurdity I think goes a long way. And, and, and even when I taught high school, I was like, Oh, kids aren't going to like this, but you know, who craves stories more than five-year-olds is 15 year olds. because They never get them anymore. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, when I, when I think about like my children's choir versus like my, when I was like in the high school and everything, I mean, high schoolers are just big kids. <laughs> they still, they still like to be ridiculous and do silly things and everything. They just want to sometimes be mature. <laughs> sometimes not. So, but yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I want to be very cognizant of your time here. I still have some more questions left. If you have time, I would love to be able to get through them. But if you also need to go, I don't mind wrapping it up as well. No, I, I have the next three hours available. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, my next question is, if you could bring anything from camp into your everyday life, what would it be? Songs, for sure. Oh, yes. I think the permission to have songs everywhere. 
and like I know I know that you always have people sing like their their favorite camp song, but can you imagine like a workplace where that's the norm? Uh, like it might be a little wacky, a little wild, but boy oh boy, that would be something because it, it's just joy. It's like pure joy. Absolutely. Ah, work at a facility now. It's it's a Girl Scout camp, but it's it's they're both not resident camps, and so mm-hmm. they don't have they don't have those like song traditions um they i mean sometimes they'll sing songs and stuff like that but it's not quite deeply ingrained and i'm like oh my goodness like get with the program like <laughs> like make me weird because i'm singing about a rope like right now <laughs> just join in this is fine so so yeah it's very it's been very interesting for me to see it in a different light like that but yeah Good. absolutely i i, I love there one other thing that I really appreciate about camps, and I wish I could bring this into the classroom easily, is and I'll use archery as an example again. You know, you can take a kid who's never shot archery, and by the end of the session, you know, they can at least hit the target. Like they have some some goals and they can work on it. But I think that kids, especially maybe in, maybe this is unique to high school math, although I don't think it is, kids are really afraid of making mistakes. And yeah. like when you're in this magic circle at camp, like everyone's in the same boat as you. So they, they encourage you like the other kids are encouraging each other and teaching each other. And I, I don't see that in the classroom much. And I wish, I wish that that was more prevalent in the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That is definitely a big fear. Even when not so much where I'm at now, I teach in Kansas city right now. Uh, mm-hmm. So my, I, my students are very different than the ones that I had at my previous school. I taught on an air force base previously yeah so i went from very entitled to title one um very recently (laughs) so but when i was um teaching on the air force base i rarely ever used paper and pencil rarely ever used it except for a couple of things that i would use as like bulletin boards or presentations and just their attention to detail and like getting upset even when they misspelled a word i was like oh my goodness no it's okay like we can look that up in the dictionary like you like, don't feel like you have to get everything right. Like, so I, I definitely think there's a lot more pressure on kids nowadays, like that they're not allowed to make mistakes. So, yeah, yeah we, we got to change that. We absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally agree with that. Let's, we need to make our environments more accepting of mistakes and celebrating mistakes. Um, and, and and the, I mean, iteration really is how you improve on anything, really. So, like, yeah, of course you're going to fail. And even if you don't fail, like, even if you succeed, look back at and say, well, what can I do better next time? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I even try and tell my kids in, like, my choir, in my class, like, if I can't hear that you're making a state mistake, I don't know how to make you sound better or know what to work on or know what to fix. So even just talking about how being you need to be open and making mistakes makes a big difference too. So yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Well, if you could change one thing about your camp experience, what would it be? Oh gosh. I think it would be that, that first camp, the first resident camp I was at where I had such a miserable experience. Gosh, I I really wanted like, now I want to like it more than I ever did before, but it was just, just so miserable. And maybe I just wasn't ready for camp at that point. Uh, I wish that I had a positive memory of my first week at resident camp, because I think that would have brought me into camping it 
much earlier in my life because between when I went to that camp as a camper and then when I started working at a summer camp, there was probably five or six years in there. And that that's that's missed time in, in camp summers, you know? Absolutely. And I I do think one, everything I think it all works out the way that it works out. But two, also, I feel like a lot of camp professionals at some point in when if they were going to camp, uh, didn't like their experience very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's a pretty common theme, though, too. Like you start off and you're like, oh, I didn't like that. And then you come back to it later in life. You're like, oh, OK, yeah, this is actually what's up. That's interesting. <laughs> can, can you think of other areas where that's the case because most of the time if i don't like something i kind of walk away from it i don't force myself to come back to it and like it so there must be something insidious about camps where it's really like sneaks up on you and you're like oh yeah i I guess i liked it all along well i mean i became a music teacher because i had a really crappy one um (laughs) i told myself i was gonna be much better than my crappy teacher so (laughs) wow but that might also just be me because i am a camp person that's just kind of how i that's how I attack things. When I see that something's wrong, I stop what I'm doing and I make it better. So yeah, one in the same. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe that might just be a pretty common thing among camp people. I don't know. So, but yeah, well, I'll go ahead and move into like my final sentimental questions here. All right. Or that you love music at camp and being able to sing. So I would love to know what your favorite song is. So there's a camp song. First of all, I, my runner up Beth, actually brought this to camp uh and this is like another example of like we've been singing songs at camp for a hundred years and beth comes and brings a whole host of songs so she worked at a girl scout camp and i was like oh i love little red wagon so that's my runner-up but the the my i think the most my most favorite camp song a lot of camps have a song called like billy grogan's goat and it's the story about a goat who's tied to a railroad triax because he ate the farmer's shirt but Somewhere along the line at Camp Corey, we had a camp counselor named Brian Grogan. And so the camp song changed to Brian Grogan's Go. And it's just really long, drawn out. You sing it like out of key and as as gnarly as you can. And it takes like five minutes to sing. But I really like that as Brian Grogan's Go. And I actually met Brian Grogan at the 100th anniversary this summer. Um, and he's like, yeah, that's my song. But he, I mean, he just happened to have the same name or a very close name. So I like that song because it, it's fun to sing. You don't have to be able to sing to sing that particular song because you're supposed to sing kind of like off pitch and off key. And also because it really embodies the whole camp spirit of making something your own, making it, making it camp Corey. It gave it the camp Corey spin by changing it to Brian Grogan. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. (laughs) I love that. And I have to admit, I mean, I've heard of little red wagon. Uh, I've not heard of Billy Grogan's goat. So I am definitely going to look up that. Now I asked my guests if they're comfortable, would you be willing to sing a little bit of your favorite song for us? Yeah. And just in the interest of time, because you don't want this recording to go for several hours, I will uh, not sing the whole thing, but it, <laughs> it, it is after me song. So um, it goes like, it, and I, I'm going to experiment with this microphone. I might step a, a little bit away because it's kind of, you have to yell it and it's going to sound really, really nasty, but it goes, Brian Grogan's goat. Brian Grogan's goat. You're a music teacher. Your your singing is way too good for this song. It's <laughs> like it is feeling fine. It is feeling fine. Oh, that's much much worse. Way way to go. Yay, <laughs> free shirts. Oh, I missed it. I was laughing. Can you do that again? Uh, 
He ate three shirts. He ate three shirts. Right off the line. Right off the line. So I do want to leave it as a cliffhanger. He is tied down to the railroad tracks because the Brian Grogan gets so mad. And you're going to have to look up the song and see how it ends. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. It's got, like, that bluesy feel to it, too. So my my musician brain is like, ooh, what chords would go with that? Like, oh, That's interesting. Uh, well, I, I would love if you posted, like, a rendition of this at some point. Absolutely. I need more song suggestions for my YouTube channel. So I will absolutely look into see it, what I can do. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> it sounds I, so funny. I do think I have an affinity for the songs where you can really be bombastic and absurd because I do not have a good singing voice, so it kind of gives me space to to hide. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh no, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. My next question is, what is your favorite camp meal? This is going to be controversial, and I will say unequivocally and unapologetically, it's chicken a la king because <laughs> it is very utilitarian you get first of all from the dish room in the kitchen it's like you don't use too many dishes because you don't need like six sides and it's like you get your grain your veggies and your protein all in one bowl so it's just like one and done uh there's no nickel and diming with passing different bowls and plates it's all just there so chicken a la king but i know that most people don't like it hmm yeah no i don't know if i've ever had that before but it seems like that would be a pretty easy meal yeah i think it's basically you cook some rice and then you open some number 10 cans of chicken a la king from Cisco. Uh, although I was at a camp in Maine, um, not, not a Panther Pond. I was at Agassiz Village, which is in Raymond, Maine on uh, Lake Thompson. And they actually, the chef made chicken a la king, turkey a la king from scratch. And I was like, oh, oh God bless you, man. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. I, you definitely see a lot of cooking or baking from scratch in the public education system. But yeah camps you can still get that and it's like oh my gosh how do you do that for like 150 to 300 people that's or 500 i mean some programs even have that many so i really admire a lot of camps that i've seen use cooking as like a program area a programs happen in the dining hall and the chef and the kitchen staff become kind of like characters in it but also a lot of camps now that i've been visiting are like oh we have a cooking class and the chef will like show them how to toss pizza and they'll make pizza and that's what they'll eat at, at dinner that night I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. So any opportunities to bring the, the your kitchen staff and the cook into the program is, is I think, a, a great idea. Because that's really the only time where your whole camp is together three times a day. Like, why not make it a program? Absolutely. We, I mean, I'm sure that you've seen this at other facilities that you visited, but we always used to do a cast iron chef unit. And so they always were cooking over the campfire and they would have this cook off at the end of the week. And gosh, that was a yummy time. <laughs> you know, I have never, I've never seen that in all my travels. And I really, yeah, I love the idea <laughs> because it's, it's easy. It's cast iron. So it doesn't cost too much money. Right. And it, it's a great life skill. Like that might be some, some campers first times ever cooking. Oh yeah. And we would get, I mean, we would start them off with, you know, traditional campfire recipes. And then by the time it was for the cook-off, they were like creating their own recipes. Um, and we were talking like cadets, seniors and ambassadors. So girls that were, in sixth grade through through 12th grade could do this program so yeah i mean it it was really cool so yeah that's that's incredible yeah so well my next what is your favorite camp tradition my favorite camp tradition 
I, I think it would be, and I don't know how many camps do this, but our camp, they, we, you know, we have bugles throughout the day. Uh, and, and our neighbors on the lake either love them or hate them. But we, and <laughs> I think nine thirty every night is taps, and it's a really somber moment. And it's this, you know, t- it is this one. I don't know, forty five seconds, maybe ninety seconds. I don't know how long the bugle is. But everyone stops what they're doing. If you're brushing your teeth, you stop the water from running. If you're walking, you stop where you are. And everyone is just super quiet and somber for that, you know, that 90 seconds. It's great reflection. It's great time to just kind of like wind down. But one of the one of the benchmark or one sorry, one of the cornerstones of camp is sharing your taps story. And a lot of counselors have their own tap story. And it might be from camp, it might be from their time in the military, it might be completely unrelated. But we get such a menagerie of of camp stories and these patchwork quilt type themes that are just really incredible. And not everyone has to share their tap story. Not everyone has one. But if you want to tell it at a campfire, it's always it's always something new and something interesting. Oh, my gosh. So a tap story, what would that kind of consist of then? Just time serving the dates or being patriotic or what does that entail? Um, it can be anything. So. Uh, we tell the original story about taps about how there was a war. And then, you know, one, one, one soldier, you know, the next morning was going through the other soldier's pockets, looking for ammunition and found this poem. And it was the worst of taps. And he turned the body over and it was his brother. So that was the original tap story. Yeah. And mine, mine is, you know, when I was growing up, my grandparents lived next to a, a Connecticut national guard base. My grandfather actually was in the national guard when he was younger. And I mean, you could throw a rock and hit the, the, the space. It was, they were right across the street and they didn't, I think they did revelry in the morning and just taps at night. Those are the, yeah. but you know, the summer before I worked at camp, I spent at, at my grandparents in Connecticut and I would hear that song every night and I, you know, I would see my grandfather and he really seemed to enjoy it. And that was the last summer I spent with my grandparents. Cause I went to work at camp and my grandfather died the next year. So can't, the, when we hear taps at night, like the reason why it's important to me is because it, it's a way for me to, you know, remember my grandfather every day in the summer where I, you know, at the, at the end of the summer working with my grandfather, he gave me a Swiss army knife. It was the first knife I ever had. And I was like, Oh, I'm a man now. And then I worked at summer camp um, moving forward. But uh, I, I like that it can be something different for everyone. And sometimes, you know, these stories are about, you know, we had a Navy SEAL who was a camp counselor. Uh, he was oh the jetless giant you'll ever meet. And he had this really crazy story about taps. And it was just like, he was the the village had the unit had for you know the rambunctious like 16 year old boys and for the 45 minutes he was telling a story there was not one peep and so everyone has their tap story it doesn't have to be about the military it can just be about remembering people but i love that not only do we encourage people to be reflective during that time and it is a dedicated time every day but also that we give people a space to share with the camp community why something is important to them. Yeah. I have not heard of that before. That is really incredible. That is yeah. really incredible. It's it's it and I think really it's just a, a the proxy of giving campers and staff the ability to personalize their experience. Like this is one of the yeah another thing that Camp Corey does that celebrates campers and staff in their own uniqueness. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that is pretty profound. I mean, 
um, working on a military base. I worked on an Air Force base for four yeah. years. I, I mean, frequently we heard the Reveille and the Star Spangled Banner and TAPS all the time. I mean, if I heard TAPS though, um, that means I was working really late at night because yeah. <laughs> I think it was played at like nine o'clock at night. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, those are very reflective times that you don't necessarily get in a lot of locations unless you're in that environment. And so you're right, not only taking the time to reflect in the moment, but giving other people time to reflect upon that is also just deeply profound. So yes, wonderful. Oh my gosh. I hope someone steals that and, or starts utilizing that in some way, shape or form this summer. I do too. And even if it's not taps, just like any ritual where it, it, is a space for kids and staff alike to think about their day, even if it's mm-hmm. 90 seconds, like that never happens in a school building. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe there's schools that do that, but my school is always a cacophony of like loudness or the teacher talking to the kids or like kids, like the energetic buzz, but there's never a universal break in, in pause and just reflection. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know that like my, one of my camps, we would see in green trees and then lead into taps as well. And so that was kind of our way of doing our reflection time, but there's, there's many ways that you can go about doing that. So awesome. That's great. Well, my next question is what is your favorite program area at camp? I think my favorite program area, I think my runner up is dining halls because they're underutilized as a program area. Yeah. And I would encourage anyone watching or listening to figure out how can they include the dining hall or the dining um, program, the culinary program into their regular program. But I think my favorite program area where I excel is either storytelling or large scale camp games. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you mean like storytelling, like as like an all camp thing or just yeah. kind of over a campfire? Okay. Either or uh, at a campfire. And that definitely sweetens the deal for me. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I am hoping to keep this podcast going for a really long time. So I'm asking I'm you too. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I'm just wanting to know who should I interview next for the podcast? How many people do you want? Oh, I'll take as many as you're willing, as you would like to nominate. Sure. So um, uh, I would say Pat Foster, who's the director of Camp Corey right now. He's the executive director. He was actually one of my campers way back when, and he's been the director there. I think he's been at camp for, he's been working camp for 22 years and he was a camper for six years. So Pat okay. Foster from YMCA Camp Corey. Okay. Uh, I think Aaron Proietti, who's my partner in crime for consulting now, he is really, really, really good at, strategy, vision, values, and alumni associations. Uh, I mean, he's the yin to my yang. So when we go work at camps, I'm like, hey, I want to get my hands dirty with program areas. And he's like, I want to talk about anything that's not a program area. Uh, but he's just a wealth <laughs> of knowledge. And, and he's done a, some remarkable things with the camps we've worked at. Uh, I think I, I really, I met a woman named Camille up at Agassiz Village. And I think she's awesome. And she's been working at Agassiz Village for a while. That's a camp that's in Maine. And it's, um, they work with youth from the city of Boston. And Camille Ridge, I think, has done some great things there. She grew up as a camper there and, um, and works there now. And she's just really, really awesome. So I, I would give her a ring, too, because she's she, she has some really, really good experience. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing those 
those nominations and yeah, I will definitely be in contact with them when your episode airs and everything to get them. I'd love to hear from them. So well, thank you for all the work you're doing and building this community and, and curating like all these wonderful ideas and stories that are being shared, because I, I think it is important for camps to be recognized for what they are. Uh, you know, youth development kind of gets a backseat to everything else. Um, but what happens at camp is, is, is really transformational. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I just coming from, you know, where I come from, not being a camp professional, but still actively involved in trying to be actively involved in the camp community. There's not really a space for, for that and for the more kind of like sentimental and, but also sharing and, you know, more like even more my interviews now are becoming more of like therapy sessions, like <laughs> for people, like kind of like processing like a very formative part or going through a very formative part of their lives too. Um, Cause I mean, you had kind of talked about it earlier, you know, we deal with a lot of mental health issues oh, yeah. in, in the camp world. And sometimes it's nice to just be able to talk through the, your experience and <laughs> get it out there and, you know, the good, the bad and the, the indifferent. So yeah, I, I'm hoping that this really does reach to listeners and that they, they can empathize with it or utilize it in any way, shape and form. So even not, even if it's just taking away a program idea or hearing somebody, how somebody said something. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished. And I got to say like, so I've been listening to all your podcasts and I, it, for me, it's therapeutic. It's very just like cathartic to listen and hear all these people who are still involved at camp or still helping out on camps. I'm like, ah, oh, it's so good to hear. Like, these are my people. So it, at the very least, like uh, I get I get validation and joy from listening to to all your guests. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm hoping to continue to diversify because uh, I have a lot of people from Girl Scouts, specifically <laughs> Camp Sacagawea, which, as I mentioned, wasn't even my full time camps <laughs> that I was at. <laughs> They just, they have, we, we've just crossed paths and have had so much. So, yeah. Well, is there anything happening in your life right now that you would like to promote or there's something else that you would like to promote to our listeners that would help them out in their lives or in their camp careers or what have you? Just, uh, you know, like keep doing the right thing. If, if you're fortunate enough to be working in a camp, I know it can be exhausting and, you know, sometimes even halfway through the day, you're like, I'm done. But like, keep doing what you're doing because that's making a huge difference and a huge impact. And the, my my second piece of advice is like the the 2K summer where we keep building out, we keep doing things there. So if you're looking for free resources that you want to steal and use on your own, go to 2KSummer.com. And that 2K, by the way, is is the our metaphor for $2,000 summer because that's what yeah. that was our budget. That's awesome. Ah, I love that so much. Well, you've mentioned your email address and the website. Is there any other way that people can contact you or if they have questions for you? Um, probably email is the, be the best way. Uh, there is a contact form at the website, but email is, I think, the best way to get in touch with me. And, and uh, I love consulting for camps, but what I love even more is just talking about camps. So if you ever want to just like start a thread or call me up on the phone, I would love to just chat about camps, pick your brain. I want to know what you're doing that you think everyone's doing, but really no one else is doing. And I want to uh, just walk through and talk through camp with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, is there other questions that I have for you? Was there any other questions or comments or stories or thoughts that you wanted to share while you're on the Camp Kids podcast? No, this has been awesome. It's been really, really fun. I really enjoyed 
um, meeting you and chatting with you and kind of reliving. This has actually been very therapeutic for me. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'm and, so glad uh, to hear that. Yeah. Well, so no, that uh, I, I think I said everything I, I wanted to say, and I'm glad that you asked the right questions at the right time. Well, thank you, Dave, so much. I really appreciate you. All right, Camp Kids, that was Dave. Make sure to contact them if you have any questions and to check out all the links in the show notes. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Let's keep our Camp Kids community growing by spreading it to others who are a part of the camp community. Please leave a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating, so that others can also find this podcast. Next week, we have a two-part interview with my friend Thunder. So one podcast will release on Tuesday. The second half of our interview will release on Thursday. So be on the lookout for both of those. That is all that I have for you for now. But remember that this is good night and not goodbye. <laughs>